Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to another special edition of the Michael Deacon program. So glad to see all of you out there. And in a moment, we will be joined by Mr. Mark Stavish, the Director of Studies for the Institute for Hermetic Studies and a lifelong student of esotericism. And of course, I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Mike Hideous. Mike, are you out there? Mr. Deacon, welcome to another fabulous, fabulous night. Looking forward to the show tonight. Oh, yes. And my apologies for uh, Captain the Lost Long Parrot. Oh, thank you, buddy. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear about that. Yeah, it was his birthday today. He would have been 18. Ooh, good year. Yeah. Poor little guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, miss him much. Miss him much. Oh, yes. And, of course, we are joined by Mr. Mark Stavish right now. Mark, how's it going? It's good. How are things with you guys? We are good. We are surviving. We are living coronavirus-free. Uh, Mark, I, I hope you are uh, under the same mindset and uh, presence right now. Well, you know, we are good to go from the beginning, and uh, I would just say I I was not caught up in any rush for toilet paper. Nice. I had 100 rolls here myself <laughs> to begin with, so we were good to go from the beginning. And uh, right. I just have to make sure for the next disaster, I have more chocolate on hand and uh, everything will be fine. <laughs> very good. Very good. <laughs> and Mark, welcome back to the program. We had uh, spoke a long time ago. So thank you so much for being here and spending some time with us. And of course, lots to go over. And Mark, how is the family doing, by the way? I forgot to ask. Well, they're they're all quite busy because of uh, some of you know, my wife is a teacher. and Right. Uh, you know, she had to take a crash course in trying to uh, teach from home using, uh, you know, uh, different online platforms, which she was unfamiliar with. And she teaches biology and chemistry. So those are very difficult subjects to teach in person, let alone, you know, in some distance learning framework. And, and my sons, of course, are, are trying to do the same with their classes. So uh, other than that, uh, you know, they're, they're doing fine. That's good. Very good to hear. And I, I know about the wife with her background and your background 
Is there any conflict there of uh, beliefs? That's all. That's something I'm always curious about. Not really. Uh, I mean, what, uh, except I mean, generally, I, I tend to take a different view than she does on on some things. I mean, the, when we look at the, of course, current events, uh, I simply say, well. That's nice, dear, but the Chinese lie about everything. So <laughs> we're waiting to see if those numbers are true. And, and that's usually about the only area of disagreement. Um, you know, she's uh, very thorough in her, in everything she does and uh, has an understanding of, uh, of course, the physical sciences quite well with a PhD from Brown and, and also uh, very skilled and knowledgeable in uh, Vajrayana. So he's well-rounded. Very nice. Very nice. And of course, you've been studying about all these things, esotericism, uh, for over 35 years, it says in your bio. And my God, that's a long <laughs> well, time, Mark. That, that bio's dated. Yeah, I know. There's uh, much more now. <laughs> yeah, it's probably more like, uh, let's see, 45. So, you know, it's, uh, it's been a while. It really has. And Mark, what exactly was the catalyst for you to go down this sort of um, path here? Well, as some of the listeners know, and, and from some of the publications I've done, I uh, some of my family members were involved in German folk magic, and uh, my great uncle was connected to all of the various esoteric movements of the early 20th century. I mean, he was born in 1900. He, he died in 1996, so he, he saw the span of things, and uh, wow. he was deeply involved in uh, quite a few of these groups, particularly Amork and it's Martinus offshoot and uh, SRIA under Plummer and uh, Eve. I even found a certificate from the twenties uh, from the Brotherhood of Light, Easy Zane signature on it. Then when he was involved, so uh, a lot of a lot of connections there, and of course connections going back to European occultism. And Mark, were you at all raised with any sort of religion around you? Well, yes, we were marginally Lutheran. Okay, and Mark, do you believe in God? Yeah, I, I, I tend to skip that question because everyone has a different definition of what that is. So <laughs> it's hard to say. I mean, I, I have my own notion of what God is, and uh, I hopefully it's uh, close or a reasonable proximity. But, uh, I mean, the whole notion of spirituality it does involve the idea that there are intelligence and energy and forces that affect and shape the physical world, and that in turn there is a feedback loop, and the physical world can have an impact to some degree on the on the psychic, on the spiritual, but that for the most part the physical world is an effect; it is not a cause. Understood. Yeah. And of course, what would you make of this new paradigm shift that we are all experiencing? It seems like lots of the new agers out there have been talking about this. It's always been uh, surrounded by the whole doom and gloom aspect. Well, I think there are several paradigm shifts happening, and um, it, it's really hard to say. Um, you know, when, when we look at current events, many people will always attempt to interpret it along their redesigned paradigm. So you see uh, some fundamentalist groups looking at it in terms of their vision of the end days. You you see the same with some uh, very conservative Jewish groups. Um you see some of that occasionally with some of the uh, Hindu groups. Uh, the Tibetans have always advocated that we're in the Kali Yuga. So where we're going and, and how to say what is this shift, I think if we look at it cyclically, uh, there are always shifts happening. It's just a matter of how big are they. 
And what we're experiencing now is, um, you know, as I said to someone, a, a friend of mine called me and he said, you know, his, uh, his sister wanted to get a gun. And he said now two or three months ago, she was, you know, a rabid anti-gun, you know, uh, owner, you know, didn't see any reason to own them. Uh, of course, he lives in Montana. Uh, he has a concealed carry permit. And he Everybody talked to her and he said, well, I really don't think you should get one. And he said, why? He said, because I don't think you have the, the mental framework uh, that's required to own, train, and use one. Really? But, but, the, yeah. but she insisted. So they went to a store and uh, he's, you know, helped her decide on one. Then when they go to pay, uh, she is terribly upset that she has to go through the waiting period. Mm, right, right. Now, <laughs> two months ago, she wanted everyone to not even own them. Now she's upset that she can't walk out the store with her gun. And I said to him, well, you know what that is? He goes, well, you know what the, 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 old, uh, the old joke is? He goes, what? You know what the difference between, you know what, you know what a, a, a conservative is? And he goes, what? It's a liberal who's been mugged. <laughs> Love and, that. Uh, and so then what we were experiencing right now is kind of a collective mugging. That's why you see that kind you know, of dramatic shift in her, you know, two months ago, <laughs> that, that's gone. She doesn't even remember that. That's so funny. And you see a lot of people I, I, I don't, I don't mean to areas. interrupt, but I got to tell you, I, I, I was a, a politically correct liberal Democrat for 26 years and I got mugged and that's what changed me from being a liberal. <laughs> it's all it takes, Mike. Yep. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Mark, but I yeah. had to say that. <laughs> well, you know, I, I could, I could tell from the way you laughed and, and not to make this political, but to, to demonstrate that, uh, you know, cause the politics is philosophy, philosophy and action and that our philosophical views shift according to the experiences we have and traumatic experiences create traumatic shifts in philosophical views. And, when we're collectively mugged or individually mugged, we, we make choices and uh, because it's a, it's a threat to our, our, our security, but not only that, but our, our survivability, our actual existence. It's an existential threat. And that forces us to address the four existential crises that we often ignore in life. And the big one, of course, has to do with mortality. And then, of course, having to do with meaning in life and what is it? you know, mean to be alone and, and, and the meaning of existence and all that stuff. So, but the reality is what we're seeing take place right now across the industrialized world and large swaths of the, of, of the rest of the world, uh, you know, in Asia and Africa, but primarily Europe and North America I'm talking about is that existential crisis, that realization that things change, they can change rapidly and quickly uh, security that we thought we had, we don't have, and that we actually, which comes to shove, have very little control over a lot of things. And so, you know, how does that translate into this, the new paradigm? I, it's going to be paradigms. Right. It's not going to be a single paradigm. It never was because a single paradigm is monotheism. And monotheism is the closest thing you get to materialism and still claim to be spiritual. Yeah, because it's a singularity, which that means it has ultimately inflexibility. And Mark, I, I hate to backtrack uh, quickly here, but what exactly are your thoughts on uh, COVID-19 and what's currently happening right now? We are all sequestered. People are afraid. 
And it doesn't seem to end for, for nobody right now. It seems like our civil liberties will be eroded as time goes on. And that's the sad part. You know, you have Bill Gates out there proposing a digital vaccine certificate for all Americans out there. I mean, soon enough, um, you won't be able to go to an airport, per se, without having some sort of special ID tag, either physically uh, around your neck or even embedded into the skin of, like, say, your wrist, perhaps. Well, two things here. Uh, first, first, the funny part. Go ahead. I <laughs> love know, that. And uh, I, several years ago, I started annoying a lot of my uh, esoteric and occultist friends uh, because, of course, most of them tend to. And I don't know when this happened. I, we, I made a joke about this a few days ago online. I said, you know, when when did occultists become muggles? Mm. You know, and uh, yes, the, the joke being that, and I don't know if you read it or not, but. If you look at all these great predictions of how the world would go and, and you start, say, around the 80s or 90s and you tabulate them, you know, the, our, our, the fundamentalist Christians have done a far better job at prophesizing than most of the occultists I know. Um, you know, if you go down the laundry list of, of how we got to this point and you look around at what's happening. So with that as kind of the, the humorous setup, um, I think when we look at a situation like COVID-19, we have to look at it from, again, a polytheistic point of view. And I use that word specifically because we just talked about, you know, you know, singularity being a, a form of materialism and, and um, monotheism being very close to, to materialism in many ways and still the closest you can get to being a materialist and, and still claim a spiritual direction. Um, because singularity is it's just that. It's going to be just this. And you see people want to fall into an acceptance of certain ideas where it's, this is the answer. Okay. And it's a very complex notion. Right. So if you, if you look at COVID-19, I said to someone, well, it's probably a biological weapon. And they said, but it, it shows, according to the data, it shows no signs of being modified. I said, well, two things there. First, it shows no signs according to whose data, the data which you have available to you. I said, that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, it doesn't have to be modified to be a weapon, okay? Smallpox is a weapon. All they needed were blankets. They didn't need to genetically alter it in any way. Uh, the other thing is, and so maybe a third point, as I said, the lab that that was in or may have come from, may have, we'll emphasize that, and, and it appears that it probably did. We have enough intelligence agencies and people in China suggesting it came from the lab and people who work there. Um, that lab is part of the Chinese military. That means everything in that is a weapon, even the pencils. Right. They're not there for, you know, writing peace treaties. And so this is kind of the, the, the framework you have to kind of recognize. There, there's multiple levels to it. Now, even if it is something that isn't come from the lab, it just kind of did come from nature, okay, in that respect. You know, maybe someone... We did get it from eating a bat, as we're told. Um, the fact is the Chinese lied about it for months. They sure did. And in that, in that aspect, they committed a crime against humanity because now this spread. But in, from their perspective as a military state, and China is first and foremost a military state, okay? And everything they do is weaponized. So even the production... You know, the factories, I know people who've done business in China and they, they would constantly complain about just the lying and the stealing, you know, and the copyright infringement and all this stuff. That's right. But I say, so 
everything is weaponized against everyone else. Uh, and where you have this problem in Western spirituality uh, is just that, is Western spirituality, okay? And it basically, you have a lot of people, whether they're New Agers, neo-pagans, um, Buddhist converts or converts to Buddhism, uh, is they tend to believe that the rest of the world has these quaint enlightenment virtues or values or middle-class Protestant notions, okay, 20th century Protestant middle-class notions, and that if they don't, somehow they can just somehow become adapted to it and see the light. Well, these aren't universal values, and we have to understand, and the, the, many people, particularly in the spiritual community, don't really want to grasp that notion, that not everyone shares the same values they do. They don't even share the same values across the different groups, but but more importantly, these very strongly held notions of of, of what you know of human interaction and in relationships and human life and value. They're not universally held, and for a variety of reasons, you know that that of course are cultural and economic and historical, and uh, that makes the discussion really very difficult. So you know they they let this spread to the rest of the world, and, and why not? Why should they be the only one who's damaged by it? Yeah, the uh, CCP. This uh, communist virus, this plague <laughs> has been spread out everywhere. And uh, again, news articles have been saying as far back as late November, the U.S. intelligent officials were warned about this. And it's quite ironic that they were warned about this and no action was taken uh, immediately. It, it reminds me of 9-11 as well. They were warned and they didn't do shit either. Well, you know, two stories there. Uh, one is... Several years ago, I, I was with my wife. We were at a uh, uh, a gathering, um, and one of the women there was a Romanian uh, doctor. She worked with the World Health Organization in epidemiology. Um, our our inter our discussion was interspliced uh, with her talking to my wife about biology. Um, a brief interruption when she was speaking to the Polish ambassador to the United States. Um, and then, you know, some of our discussions around uh, publishing. So um, she wrote a book. She wrote three books, in fact, novels. And one of them was something I think the title was like, How to Start an Epidemic. Mm, and it was published around 2001 or two or wow. something like that. And the FBI visited her. And she said, wow. it was really kind of funny. My goodness. Because uh, they, they thought that somehow this was a how-to manual. And she said, well, this is a very thorough book about, uh, you know, a novel about an epidemic. But... If anyone has the the ability to do what's in here, they don't need a manual on how to spread it around. They already know, okay? And um, I think that's one of the problems with various intelligence services. They uh, they take things very seriously. They have to, but that also means very literally. And uh, I, I heard a very funny story about uh, who was the fellow who invented Dungeons and Dragons, you know, and uh, how he was interrogated by the FBI in the 1990s because of a game he wrote that had to do with computers that didn't even exist and how to hack them. So the game was about hacking computers. <laughs> and he, they, they insisted somehow, he said it was just ironic. It was just funny because these people kept insisting to me that this is a real hacker's manual. And he said, these computers don't even exist. You know, it's a game. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think we have problems within the intelligence services because you have people who really want to do a good job. Um, but at the same time, they may not, they don't always know what they're doing. Some are very good and some aren't, and they don't communicate well. Cultures of secrecy and power 
are just like that. They're they're about the failure to communicate. So they're kind of <laughs> like the uh, they're kind of like the postal service then. Yeah. Pardon? I said they're kind of like the postal service then. Well, my postal clerk is very funny. Every time I go to mail something, I get to hear a, a new story of postal incompetence. Yes, yeah, so I everything I, I mail gets delivered, so I'm happy with that. I, I can't fault them there. Whatever their internal machinations are, it's not my concern. But this has to do with size, right? And whenever we get to, you know, there's optimum sizes of organizational growth, and then when you exceed that, things just get harder and harder to do. And uh, you know, intelligence services are no different. Can I ask? Can I ask you a question, Mark? Sure. Do you? Uh, I was watching a program not too long ago, maybe about a month ago, um, and it, it made a very interesting comment. There, there was a bunch of scientists, doctors, you know, all talking about um, pandemics, and they made a very in- interesting comment. And the comment was, "It's not a matter of if." a pandemic ever occurs on the planet. It's a matter of when. Do you believe that that um, a pandemic is inevitable at some point? And I'm not saying just this Chinese virus. I'm saying something like the Black Plague that is just inevitable at a point where it mutates to a point where it's we just don't understand it and it just wipes out a huge portion of uh, the population. Do you think that's inevitable? Well, you just look at the history of things, the cycles of things, and and you can get a fairly good predictor. I mean, there's one uh, predictor that showed that there's roughly every hundred years, you know, we have an experience like this. Now, where it comes from or how, whether it's accident or design, you know, that's all irrelevant. It's just things happen. And this goes back to the notion of control. We We think we have more control over things than we really do. Um, and even when we get, as, as you pointed out, even when we get information, getting that information into the heads of people who can make decisions that will then somehow make the appropriate decision or the, the best possible decision um, is very difficult. Uh, people make decisions often um, based upon shared values. And when you get into organizational structures, and this is where we, we often get into the conspiracy notion, there are real conspiracies. Let's, I want to make that very clear. Um, when the Swansea conference took place in 1942, uh, there were, uh, I think, about a half a dozen leading Nazis there. They all knew what they were doing, and they, they knew exactly what they were doing, and they edited the, 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 the notes of the meeting to make them more palatable. And that, that's mm. the kind of thing we think of as a conspiracy. Uh, but there's other kinds of conspiracies, and those are conspiracies of thought. And it doesn't necessarily have to be some great, you know, occult hoodoo, voodoo, uh, telepathic, telepathic thing. It's just a matter of shared values. And when you go into any organization, whether it's social work or teaching or the police department or intelligence services or, uh, you know, anything, you pick it, certain values often get held in common and then uh, uh, become very precise depending on which organizational structure or industry aspect of industry or corporation we'll call it you're in. So that means that people are going to act the same, even if they don't talk to each other. Now let that sink in. So you could take something to half a dozen or a dozen people in that entity, and there's a very good chance you're going to get the same response from all of them or most of them because of the notion of shared values. Gotcha. 
Yeah. That's very in, in depth. That, that in some way should, you know, that, that's the frightening part. So now to answer your question, are epidemics going to happen? Sure. Just as locusts are going to happen and wars are going to happen and people are going to die. Oh, and I, I and get what you're that's, saying, that's but I, let me be more specific on the question. What I'm saying is that based on what I watch, there's two things I believe that are, are a possibility and probably inevitable at some point. Um, two natural disasters that could happen to wipe out humanity. One would be a rock with our name on it coming from outer space. And that is a given. Every They say every 10,000 years or so, we get hit with an asteroid or a meteor or whatever you'd like to call it. Um, mm-hmm. so, so there's that possibility. And then there's the possibility of a very microbe-like uh, virus mutating to a point that we cannot control with all our science and, and that itself being uh, a natural way of wiping out um, uh, humanity. So – I say to you, basically, uh, it, it, in my opinion, I think a pandemic is inevitable at some point. Um, and I'm not saying that the coronavirus is that pandemic. I'm saying that it could be or there could be another one that's going to come and really create havoc. Um, so, so again, the question to you is do you, do you feel that it's just a matter of time until something that big happens? Well, I don't, I don't believe in wiping out of humanity because that's an extreme. Uh, people adapt, and we don't know what the scientific knowledge at that time will be. Uh, what we can guarantee uh, and, and put some, some solid bets down on is that things will come around, and they're going to be serious, and they're going to have a lot of devastating impact. Now, look at this. This has not had a huge impact in terms of human death toll. This is not even close no. to uh, the, the influenza of... Uh, and some of the influences and the epidemics of even of the 50s and 60s. This isn't even close. But you're right. Look at the impact. Look at the impact it has had economically, uh, politically, culturally in a very short period of time in just a few months. The impact well, has been stunning uh, and I would say almost uh, irreversible. I agree with you on that one, but just to quickly add, uh, it, this isn't over yet. However, that's that's the oh. terrifying part. I mean, I'm pretty sure this will plateau for a moment and things will be fine again, but calm before the storm. And it's been proven that this will come back again. That's the frightening part, Mark. And most likely it will. I mean, that's the reality. I mean, if you read the articles and you look at history uh, and even the astrology on it, which I've, I've looked at, too, with some folks, uh, it'll probably come back in December. But then again, what is what do you do? Uh, you look at what has been very good now. I mean, the message here is get healthy and stay healthy. Right. You know, get healthy, stay healthy. I mean, what I do, I, I avoided the people that I avoided. We, you know, get enough food where we don't have to go shopping every day. Uh, and then uh, I increase my sea intake and you know, get rid of, uh, you know, those things which are detrimental to my to my immune immunity. So. You know, but you have to do that ahead of time as well. I, I mean, I, you know, I hate to point out the obvious, but a lot of the people, I mean, not all of them, clearly there's exceptions to the rule, but a lot of the people who are dying from this were seriously physically compromised. Exactly. Yeah. And as a, as a doctor friend of mine pointed out to me today, if you're obese and you get this, you're in trouble. Yeah. Now, 43% of the American population is obese. 
if, if I may, you know, if, if I may just add a second, um, uh, you know, Michael, I, I spoke to a relative of mine today, uh, and uh, without mentioning any names, uh, I found out that my it was a cousin who I was speaking with. His brother uh, has has gotten the the virus. The thing is, uh, unfortunately, he's he's uh, got some issues with alcohol, and as a result, it has affected him greatly. Oh, and no. uh, he is. Yeah, we are currently waiting to see how things turn out for him. Mike, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing to tell me while I'm drinking this beer right now. Oh, I'm sorry. And and another word to Mark is uh, you forgot there's one other C intake that you need to add to your list, and that is chocolate, my friend. That, that's right, chocolate. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah I, this is not to make light of people suffering, but you have to look at what goes on. Um, when people, you know, nature forces us, and I don't say it's intentional. It's not like nature has a plan. Nature just does what it does for the most part. Uh, and how we respond to that is up to us. And if people want to say, well, there's nothing I can do. Okay. Well, then there's nothing you can do, but there's someone down the street who's saying, you know, there's something I can do here. That's right. I can be prepared. I can get healthy. Adapt. I can cut out the crap and, you know, reduce, uh, my, my junk food intake and exercise more, start thinking positive about solutions and, and improving the quality of my life and well-being so that when things cycle around as they will, you know, I won't be as impacted by it, you know, and it's not that you're not going to be impacted. It's about changing the severity of it, doing what you can to control your life rather than playing the role of the victim and then thinking someone's going to swoop in and, and rescue you because that's just not going to happen. No. It doesn't happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm the same way with, uh, in, in the feeling of having to take care of yourself. Uh, unbeknownst to you, m- my history is, I, I've already have a, a compromised immune system because I've had cancer seven times and I've had radiation therapy. I've had lots of radiation therapy, chemotherapy, um, and amongst, uh, tons of, of x-rays and cat scans and blah, blah, blah. So I, I already have, I already have my work cut out for me. I have to dose up on vitamins every day, try to eat good. Just recently, I've tried to do my best to cut out all sugar. Um, so that's going to be yeah, hard. It's a, it, it, it is. You're right. And, and I am addicted to vitamin C, vitamin chocolate. And, um, it's very difficult, but at <laughs> yeah. the same time, what, you know, what choice do I have? I'm, I'm 53 now. I've, I've got to. Uh, I've got to be able to take care of myself for the rest of the years that I have, how many decades I have left, hopefully, knock on wood. But uh, uh, I'm not as young as I used to be. I used to live on Twinkies and Ho-Hos and, and, and God knows what. Well, this not is anymore. it. This is it, Mike. And I think Mark can agree that this was humanity's a wake-up call. The reset button was pressed, Mark, and we have a gigantic – we we have a gigantic responsibility now, Mark. Definitely. And, and that responsibility is on the individual level. Right. Because only individuals can make that choice. Amen. And nature doesn't care what choices you make. Because from the view of nature, there's only cause and effect. There's only karma. Right. Cause and result. You do whatever you want. This is the result. And this is the part, you know, when we talk about spirituality and esotericism and all this, that has to be driven home. That is the fundamental basis of the entire cosmos, seen and unseen, is that basic notion of cause and effect. 
and it, and we well, can try ignore it and escape it. But well, you know, you can you can not, try not to live with reality, but reality is going to come and live with you at some point. And that with and, and, and that I agree with you, Mark. So do I. Definitely, and of course, you have talked a lot about hermeticism and the hermetic principle. Um, can you? Tell the audience, for those that don't know what that is, can you explain a little bit about that, Mark? Well, Hermeticism is uh, a name given to a a kind of uh, synthetic philosophy uh, that arose in Egypt from the 1st or 2nd century, or 4th centuries AD, primarily 2nd century, but 1st or 4th with some. And uh, it was named after the... uh, Egyptian god Tahuti, who was your Toth, as we call him, but uh, who's given the Greek name Hermes after the Greek god, the mess Hermes, the messenger of the gods. And Hermeticism is that philosophical view that is in part a survival of uh, ancient Egyptian uh, religious or, or mystical views, if you want to call it that, magical views, and uh, as well as uh, other philosophical notions and some Gnosticism, some Jewish mysticism, and Neoplatonism. And uh, it becomes uh, really very popular in the Renaissance. Now, the Renaissance was, was the rediscovery of ancient learning, but that ancient learning was, was uh, classical uh, religion and, and primarily Hermeticism. And at that point, uh, the, the practices of alchemy and astrology, ritual magic, uh, Kabbalah, all of these things were, were very popular, and um, you know some of the most prominent people of the day were involved. You know, and it had ebbs and flows, like everything comes and goes in cycles. And you had in the uh, 18th century an, an occult revival, if you will, primarily within Masonic circles. Uh, that is, they re- Masonic groups were used as vehicles for that revival. Uh, you had it again in the late 19th century with the writings of Eliphas Levy and the French occult revival and the, the various Rosicrucian and Martinist groups. And, and that carried us into the 20th century and carried us for many decades. Uh, during the British occult revival, the Golden Dawn gets formed. We see that come out of that period. We see the Theosophical movement come out of that period. Uh, in Austria, Hungary, and Germany, we see the Ariosophist movement. So a tremendous amount of things are happening. Uh, we see the birth of new thought in the United States. We see the birth of Amwork and a variety of Rosicrucian groups all in that period. Uh, and they, many of them, not all of them, but many of them would fall under that brand of, or that umbrella term, the umbrella term of hermeticism to some degree or the other. Right. And Mark, are you a member of any of these groups? Not anymore. You were? I was a member of, I was a member of many groups for many years, for decades, in fact. Mm-hmm. Many people still contact me regarding them, even though I haven't been in them in over 20 years. Uh, I still have many friends and uh, connections and relationships that I find were quite pleasant. Uh, I have only good things to say about most of my former associations, or mostly good things to say about my former associations. Um, <laughs> yes. But but in order to, to do what I do, uh, it's not really possible to be uh, involved in too many activities. You have to pick. And when you're involved in a lot of these esoteric groups, these orders in particular, um, they're, they're, a, they're an organizational structure and they have hierarchies and uh, you know, they want to have, uh, the head honcho always wants to be the, uh, the brightest bulb in the room. The alpha. Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. I, and, I, and go ahead. I just wanted to ask Mark, uh, your, your involvement in these, 
uh, these organizations of the past, they, they were all occult related. Oh yes, yes. I mean, they, they were very. Uh, I mean, people in them were very normal. Yeah, very. Uh, I met some wonderful people too. I mean, I happened to be in at a time when we had a tremendous amount of older members who were World War II veterans and uh, hearing about their experiences. Uh, many of them of a psychic nature. Uh, I met people who were brought over in uh, Operation Paperclip. Uh, I've met people who were uh, had very interesting experiences during the war. Uh, both in uh, intelligence services and, and otherwise, so uh, it was uh, it was a good time to be in. And Mark, why exactly did you choose to leave these groups, if you don't mind um, answering? Well, so, oh, it's mostly administrative. <laughs> That's really what it oh, came okay. to. Mostly administrative issues. <laughs> Interesting. It's like. That's like, yeah, okay, well, that's the administrative, that's fine. That, I, you know, I mean, people forget that these groups have a mundane side, a physical material side that has to be addressed. Uh, they, they do, otherwise they don't exist. And, uh, and, and, and what exactly do you mean by that? Well, they have to do things. They got to run. I mean, they, they, they have buildings to pay for or, or postage to pay for or things to, oh, okay. to take care of. They've got, they've got, real bills. Yeah, people, Everyday stuff. I jokingly, I jokingly say to folks all the time, I said, you want to join an occult lodge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, okay, well, how much are you going to pay in dues? Well, yeah. should not spirituality be free? I said, it is, but the lights in the building aren't. That's, That's very right. true, very true. And Mark, would you say by joining any of these groups that you have joined in the past, would you say any of these groups have improved your life to any extent? Well, the groups don't. Okay, it's what you get make, make of it. It's what you do with it. And I was fortunate that at the time I was in, there were some really good people in. So in that regard, I would say, yes, I made the most of it. I made the most of what I did. I made the most of who I met. Uh, I made the most of those relationships. So in that regard, they did. But it, it's really, again, it's an individual choice. You have to carefully select whatever organization you're going to become a part of, uh, know what the exit strategy is, if there is one. You, you may not want to. You may stay in for all your days, and that's fine. Uh, but just make sure it's something you want to do, if possible. Um, that's what I wrote about in my book, Egregores, the occult entities that watch over human destiny, is that any group you get into should be really just as easy to get out of. You know? So right. you have to be careful. Else, if a group else is too easy to get just into, a cult. it should be too easy to get out of. Uh, if it makes you work a little harder to get into, then it might be a little harder to get out of, but you have to then understand why, you know, what's involved because and, it's a relationship. Mm -hmm. It's a commitment. If it's, I should say it should be a relationship and it should be a commitment on, on all parties involved, not and, just an electronic credit card yeah. swipe and something sent to you by email. That's, that's not really belonging. I mean, it, it's the yeah. best we can do at times, but it's, it, it's, uh, it's a poor substitute for, actual human interaction and direct connection with people for the learning process. Yeah. There's lots of groups out there where you have to pay that admission kind of like church. Well, yeah, churches, uh, they, they provide a, a reasonable spiritual uh, benefit for their members. Um, churches have to be maintained. Uh, secretaries need to pay the bills. And, yeah. I always the say to folks, thing, if the only thing about the church that about I've never appreciated doing, they're free to volunteer to do it. And the only thing about the church very quickly. I'm sorry. The, the only the only thing about the church is that I, I never quite found I don't know respectable is that they they insist that uh, when you belong to a parish that you give ten percent. Is it ten percent of your your income? It might be more 
there's a well, certain percentage the of the demand of that you there, can... there is a notion of tithing, but again, a parish is a particular term. It refers to particularly the Roman Catholic Church. Um, uh, you don't or you don't see that phrase in, for a lot of other organizations. I think we have to look at each each denomination, each group individually uh, in terms of what they're requesting or what their membership is. I know. Uh, most of the, just as a sidetrack, uh, most of the churches I know of around here, it's around two or $300 a year is the, is the membership. In addition to donations? Well, if you make it. if you it's, it's a, do, a donation is a voluntary act. If you don't make it, you don't make it. No, I, yeah, I get I get that. I'm, I'm just saying. And you're right. I, I, it, it's fair enough to say that uh, I am uneducated in knowing what type of churches um, or religions ask um, that you give a certain percentage or what, whatever their specific um, uh, points are that they need to, you know, that they ask of, of their, their followers. So you're right. I, I, I stand corrected. But, you know, and I do know of one and it's a well-known group and uh, I knew guys who they, they, they're demanding 10% and, I said, well, I asked the one fellow, and this is a, this, uh, I use the term pejoratively. This was a genuine cult, by the way. I, and I use that in the most pejorative sense of the Aren't word. Aren't they all, Mark? And, uh, uh, they were, they were a cult. They were truly, uh, <laughs> um, had a, a grip on their members and, and they required a 10% donation. And I asked the one fellow who was a, not making much, and I said, well, how do they know? And so you, 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 you show them your, your pay stubs so they know what they're, what it is. And, that was the only time I've ever heard of that, by the way. And that organization was investigated and all types of things. But most people have, you know, fairly good uh, relation. Those who go, I should say, those who participate in organized religion clearly do so because they benefit from it. Just as those who participate in uh, 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 various uh, more loosely affiliated groups or esoteric or occult groups, uh, they do it because they, they believe they're benefiting from it. Just as people who, who spend all their time in, in, in political activism believe they're benefiting from it in some way. That's very true. Um, what do you make mm-hmm. of this pastor from Baton Rouge who said his congregation would rather die than not go to church as he refuses to stop services during the COVID-19 lockdown? You have many of these individuals out there that are still going against uh, orders and Basically, they're gathering all these individuals together in large groups, and I'm sure many of them will get sick eventually. Yeah, it's, it's really very unfortunate. Uh, I understand the, the notion of the zealous faith. Uh, you know, however, we have to look at what's happening and say, you know, my obligation is to, as a shepherd, is to protect my flock. And uh, if that means having a virtual service, that means a virtual service. I mean, come on, you probably remember Sunday mornings, uh, some bizarre UHF channel, you know, or, or, or cable channel somewhere, you know, the church service was broadcast at 10 or 11 a.m., you know, at some point, you know, from somewhere, you know, and we, we, we've always had that around here. The One of the dioceses uh, broadcast the service every day at noon or something like that, you know, on their on their cable channel. So if, if people want to, uh, they can still have relationships in that spiritual communion because the spiritual communion has a large part to do with physical contact. Being together is very important. But at the same time, it is the beginning of the, the relationship. It's not the end. So the, the true relationship is one 
that takes place within the minds of the believers. And if we are to believe what we're being told, not just is that in the mind, but that transcends the individual mind and connects on some super sensible or psychic or spiritual domain. And, and that's what unites them to the mystical body of Christ, at least in that, in that philosophy. This just reminds me of um, Darwinism, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, just let these people do what they want and end up like the people who ended up in Florida during spring break. I mean, if that's the way they want to go out, I say let them. I think that'd be fine as long as other people didn't have to pay for it or get, or, or get sick as a result of it. Right. You know, if, um, if you want to go on a beach or a, an island somewhere and, you know, drink yourself to death and, 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 and die of uh, dehydration or, or, or sunburn or, or whatever takes you out and just drown on the sands, that's unfortunate, but it's your choice. If that's the yeah. way they want to go out, I mean, let yeah. them. I, I have no right. problems but, with anyone going out, but, uh, dying that way if they want. But when when it becomes, uh, you know, where rescuers become endangered trying to get you, or where other people are, are placed in a point of danger because of your activities, that's a different ball game. That's true. That's why we and, should just let them go and not have the paramedics or police go. Just let them um, die off if they'd like, Mark. Why not? But you don't know that. The problem is, we. When, how do we decide who is? The, I mean, it's not like they they have a stamp on their door that says, <laughs> "Yes, uh, I went. I went to the revival meeting. Don't take me to the hospital." <laughs> Maybe we should do this. Maybe we should do something like that. Yeah. Paint a, so that, that paint a red a, X on their door. That would be a very <laughs> a very dangerous precedent for on quite a few levels. Well, I already feel that people that are doing this uh, to go to church are dangerous as it is, Mark. <laughs> before the <laughs> before the COVID nineteen, yeah, I, I've met a lot of most of the people I know that go to church are fairly are decent human beings. You know, I've I've met uh, you know, I've had more trouble from the neo pagan and new age communities than I've had from fundamentalist Christians that I've had to deal with. Uh, Mike, did you want to add something? I'm sorry about that. I, I was excited. Yes, that, that's okay. That's okay. Thank you, Michael. Um, Mark, I have a question for you. Uh, are you familiar with the name uh, Maitreya in or Maitre in in, in the Buddha Buddhist? Ma, in the, you're trying to say Maitreya. Maitreya, right? Yeah, Maitreya, the, the Buddha of the future. Yeah. What what the, uh, what's your comments about them? Because this person, or because I don't even think it's a real person, it, he's been accused of being the Antichrist. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I've never heard that. I mean, accused of the Antichrist, I've never heard that. And I'm sure someone has, because how we understand these things is always very relative. Um, Maitreya is very important in uh, theosophy, which, of course, there's not many of them left. It's worked its way into different New Age circles, although I, I haven't spent any time on it in 20 years. So I, I couldn't tell you what uh, how, how widely known the notion is. But within Buddhism, uh, or some aspects of Buddhism, it's, it's seen as the, the Buddha of the future. Uh, but that's about all I can say about it. I think in terms of Buddhism, that maybe the listeners would be most interested in, within Tibetan Buddhism, which is very different from Hinayana or Theravadan Buddhism, by the way, uh, and is very popular, of course, in the West, and it falls under the practices of Vajrayana and the Tantras, and claims to be mostly of Indian origin, although there's some really uh, scholarship uh, questions on that. Within the Tantras, uh, it's said that there's four ages, and this is very similar to 
the, the four ages that you see in, in Greek philosophy. And uh, the age that we're in now is known as the Kali Yuga. And this is the, the densest, most material age. And uh, when the Kali Yuga nears its end or comes to its end, it's the usual apocalyptic story that you see uh, in, in other kind of uh, practices as well. And uh, so you see when the, when the Dalai Lama was out there in Central Park several times over the decades, given these mass initiations into the Kalachakra Tantra, um, part of that initiation, and it's very complex, there's many levels to it, he just usually gives the outer part. I, I don't remember how many parts there are to it. Like someone can look that up. Uh, part of the reason for that is that those who accept it are dedicating themselves to become part of the, the army of bodhisattvas or enlightened warriors of the future for this uh, struggle at the time of the Kali Yuga. Now, of course, many will say that that struggle is purely a spiritual one, you know, not a physical one. But within some of the tantras and some of the interpretations, they see it as very much a very historical event. And they specifically name, they say, the barbarians. And the barbarians are then specifically named as, as, as Islam. And uh, that may have to do with the impact of Islamic invasions over India and how it wiped Buddhism out. Um, but that's all part of what plays, all of that still plays a part or a role in these philosophical practices and ideas, even to this day. Well, the, the reason I brought it up is, uh, about, uh, I guess about two weeks ago, um, Michael and I interviewed uh, a gentleman who made very Christ, uh, Catholic man who mentioned the name of, uh, Maitreya being the antichrist. And, and here's, here's his whole point was, uh, apparently that this guy was supposed to come uh, in the future and was going to uh, allow people, give people cures to disease and give them money and feed them and so on and so forth. And as a result, um, the man who we interviewed, uh, he said that uh, this Maitreya person would um, eventually switch. Uh, how, how did he say it, Michael? Uh, something like he would uh, reveal himself and then – right. Um, yeah, you would have to follow him and bow down to him. I did try to explain to this gentleman that Buddhism – correct me if I'm wrong, but you could be a Christian or a Muslim or Jewish and you could still follow the tr the, the, the teachings of Buddhism, correct? Well, that's, that's the big question. And, you know, from the Buddhist perspective, yes, you could. But from the Christian perspective or the Jewish perspective, no, you can't. From the Islamic perspective, uh, no, you can't. Right. So it's considered, it, it's considered you know, you have blasphemous. To understand there's, there's, these, these questions have to be nuanced that way. So if, if someone is a, a Roman Catholic and Catholic, Roman Catholicism is quite fascinating because it has a great deal of money and energy invested in uh, public relations with regards to how it is perceived in the media, particularly uh, horror films. That's why you almost, you'll notice that all of these films show the only way to defeat evil is through the priest and the ritual of Roman rite of exorcism. Uh, right. That's, you know, that's not an accident. Okay. Uh, at the same time, you know, the church is a, a real bastion against some real genuine evil. And at the same time has also been, terribly infiltrated by it as well 
as we've seen with the child abuse cases. And being in Pennsylvania, I, I'm familiar with some of those people who were, were named in that report. Um, so the, um, the question is, as a Catholic, a true Catholic, he cannot accept anything that is not Catholicism. That's right. And, okay. and, and I, I, I struggle with therefore this. Everything is, therefore, everything is going to be evil in his eyes. Now, I, 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 don't, I just say that as a statement of fact. So it's not possible to get a, uh, a reasonable discussion on the matter from him. You're absolutely I, right. I've met fundamentalists of various stripes and different types where it's not possible. I think what we have to look for instead of something like that, uh, look at it from the Buddhist perspective if you want to understand it. That's the place to go. Uh, I think the concern that all these beliefs have is of, you know, let's cut to the chase. They're concerned about singularity, monotheism. We're using those terms interchangeably. The idea of one world government, the idea of one religion, whatever that means, okay? The idea of one arching bureaucratic structure over everything. You know, the idea where everything uh, just suddenly is interchangeable because we know it's not. Things aren't interchangeable. Right. Cultures aren't, languages aren't, food isn't, people aren't. So in that singularity is death, and they know that. Well, you know, you know Michael and I had, dis had discussed it know. after we interviewed this guy, and, and we both came to the conclusion that it's very difficult to have a rational conversation with someone who is so – taken by their religion because there is nothing you can say to provide logic and or rationality to their thinking. They believe in blind faith and that's it. You can't change their mind. And the lack of reason. Unfortunately. Yeah, well, you know, and you can have blind faith um, and it can take you far. Uh, the question is when it when it comes to an end, then you have to have reason as well. And in various practices, esoteric spiritual practices, you have to have a blind faith, total conviction of its efficacy. When you learn some of these things, say from a, a tantric teacher, like, like good, good, solid, reputable ones, or good occultists like I have, or tantric teachers, Buddhist teachers like I have, Vajrayana, you have to have complete and utter faith in everything they tell you. Unquestionable. And then you take it away and you practice. And you practice with complete and utter devotion. It's uh, one of the reasons I got kicked out of Catholic you. school. Now, what will happen then is if you're doing it right, you'll have experiences that will allow you then to ask intelligent questions. You'll have experiences that you can then bring reason to think about and analyze and begin to have a deeper understanding. So you have to be able to go back and forth between, uh, we'll say, those two pillars, if you will. Because reason alone yeah. isn't going to do it for you. And just as blind faith isn't going to do it for you. They're both very limited. But combined in particular practices or in any area of our life, they can take us far. And that's where psychology comes into play, I would have to assume, Mark. Sure. That's the ability to reflect and analyze yourself and your actions and your feelings and your, your thoughts and ideas and, and seek to make and to understand them. Where the they power come the from, mind. where they take you, do you want to keep them, do you want to change them, you know, and all of that really fantastic depth stuff, which is really a form of spirituality. I mean, that's what spirituality is about, trying to have that deep understanding of all these powerful forces and ideas that, that we're composed of. We know so little about ourselves, and we, we have these wonderful, fascinating, 
and capacities within us, and yet at the same time we have some terrifying ones too. And, and we need at times a, a steady hand to help us help us through that, and that's where good teachers come in. Interesting. Very interesting. And, of course, there's people trying to call in, and I'm not quite sure I could take your calls. Unfortunately, right now, I mean, we have you on the line here, Mark, and uh, anytime these mm -hmm. these uh, individuals call in, they're calling in in groups for some reason. I had, like, two calls right now coming in at the same time. You know, I, I posted oh, the phone number tonight, told people to call Michael. Did you? Is that what it is? <laughs> I hope so. Can I hope text, I did my job. <laughs> or uh, use IM or something, email. They're going to have to. I mean, I'm not quite sure I could take their calls, but for the most part, uh, some of the callers we get are, are not that great, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, I'm a little disappointed in them. I mean, I wish they could, you know, kick it up a notch here. They're putting me to sleep. Some of the questions that these callers uh, present sometimes, it's, it's, it's sad. Well, let's see if maybe we can help them out a bit. Um, I hope know, I think so. With the framework of, of current events. Uh, people are deeply concerned about what they can do. And, and besides the physical part, uh, a good spiritual practice, a good meditative practice, a good uh, prayer practice is going to be very helpful for maintaining mental health and well-being. And uh, also know that at this time when there's so much emotional energy floating around and within ourselves and in those around us, that it's very easy to have a lot of uh, phenomenological experiences, whether they're psychic uh, experiences or dreams or, or uh, unusual uh, occurrences um, such as sleep paralysis or those kinds of things or sightings of uh, lights and, and things in the sky or in the world around you. My suggestion is not to take any of that too seriously. It's very important that you, you, you observe it, but you don't take it too seriously because phenomena occurs when the proper causes and conditions come into play. You know, in order to have a fire, you need what? You need heat, you need fuel, and you need oxygen. You take any one of those away and you can't have fire. And that means that fire can happen spontaneously if you have those three things present. In fact, that happened to a friend of mine. Um, he had some uh, towels, which uh, they were used in a, a restaurant and cooking. Actually, he was in his church. And uh, I was in the church basement with him when he was doing some work when it happened. And... Uh, they were soaked in olive oil from wiping up, you know, when you're cleaning the kitchen area. They went down to the, the basement. They were put in the wash. The wash has detergent in it. Well, oil and detergent forms a kind of primitive napalm, okay? No kidding. It washes, <laughs> it, it washes out. Uh, they put them in the dryer. Fortunately, they didn't combust in the dryer, but folded up, put on top of the washer. Fortunately, it was a whole concrete area. Very fortunate that everything was concrete. Um, fold it up and put in the basket, the center area from the pressure and the heat in the center of the pile, it ignited. And that happened oh on his porch. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, they tell that's you, don't crazy. put oil-soaked rags in a pile because that's what happens. Now, it's the same thing with psychic phenomena. If you just bring the right causes and conditions together, it occurs. Um, same thing with a, a, you know, an, an epidemic, okay, a pandemic. You bring the right causes, it's karma. The right causes and conditions together, and that's the effect. So what we have to do is find out how to uh, not just be an, uh, an effect in our own lives, but be an active cause for our own betterment in our communities and our neighborhoods. And you start with yourself and your own spiritual practices and your own honesty and your own reflectiveness, and, uh, and you move forward from there. 
I agree with you on that. And there was another individual here in the chat room was going on off about these occult groups and linking them to uh, killing children and drinking their blood, Mark. Um, what do you make of individuals like that, by the way? I'm sorry, could you repeat that again? I was uh, swallowing my water through the wrong... Uh... Oh, shit. <laughs> he was going on about occult groups and what? And occult groups and um, basically getting into these rituals where they're killing children and drinking their blood. There's people like that out there that believe these sort of things. I'm not quite sure why, but uh, yeah, starts well, and bars, I see you. Yeah. They've been, they've been told that that exists and, and they, um, you know, there was a fantastic industry around that in the eighties and up into the early nineties with the satanic panic. Um, yep. I think the problem is that, you know, folks don't really know what goes on in these groups and they make stuff up and they, they read some books and they, they go from there. And, you know, there are, um, some very bizarre groups out there that I don't deny, but they're, but they're relatively benign. Okay. They really are. Uh, there are some extremely good groups out there and most of them you'll never hear of because they don't look for any attention. And I have no doubt that just as there are, uh, thieves and uh, and horrible people in all levels of or all professions, whether it's child rapists in uh, being protected by the Vatican. I mean, yeah. that's real Satanism, if you want to call it that. I mean, the Catholics are more or, uh, aligned with that, in my opinion, but that's just my well, opinion. Or or within, you know, you see a lot of the, the criminal activity that goes on in these fundamentalist groups of all sorts. You know, if you want to look at going to try and give this fellow a, a more precise answer, if you look at um, Peter Mark Adams' book, The Game of Saturn, which came out, I think, two years ago, he details a very rare and unusual tarot deck. Um, very unusual. It's not like any other. And he had a very peculiar and special knowledge of uh, classical symbolism, classical knowledge. So he was able to analyze this deck. And he points to a very small but existent group of occultists in the negative sense, we'll call them the pejorative sense, uh, in Italy during the time of the Renaissance. And uh, they were on hire for the noble families. Uh, was this common? Well, sure. John Dee was Queen Elizabeth's astrologer. He was uh, also working with the King of Poland. Okay, all these people had these things. That was part of the sciences of the day. Uh, was this group in Italy somewhat nefarious? Well, according to the suggestions here, yes. But at the same time, uh, are we going to say that all occultists are like that? Certainly not. I can tell you that not even close to it or a stretch. Most of them are fairly boring people in that regard. They're, they're, uh, uh, not, I mean, I've met some wonderful ones, wonderful people who, but, uh, others are relatively boring because it's a wide, it's a wide spectrum. So when we get into this idea of people doing, you know, uh, killing babies and stuff like that, or they say, okay, well, first of all, show me the evidence. Show me what you're saying this on. I'm not going to tell you it didn't happen or may not happen or doesn't happen because I can't say that. But I, but if you're going to say it to me, I need to see some evidence. Exactly. I think you're more likely to see uh, a kind of, and I use the term occult here very loosely, a real evil in, say, you know, the activities of Jeffrey Epstein and the people around him. Yeah, that was evil. Right. Yeah. You're right. And so is the Catholic Church and the way they moved all those priests around uh, after they were caught up with the law as well. 
That's evil to me. Well, that was. Word. And and there you have to get into, the, we have to be very careful with that word. I mean, I don't use that loosely, by the way. I want your listeners to know that I don't use that word loosely. But then we ask her a question, you know, these are not monolithic, the church is not a monolithic organization as much as it would like to pretend to be. By the way, we have Chris C. in the chat room. I think he was trying to call in. He says, question for Mark, what are his thoughts on magic and hypnosis? Do you think they are connected in any way? Oh, they are, and particularly because hypnosis, yeah. uh, uh, I'm going to I'm going to butcher it here, the, the paraphrase, something like, our first initiation is in a trance. And when we enter into a, a trance state, and we're always in one to some degree, okay? But when we enter into what we think of as a hypnotic trance, we're getting to the threshold of, of the unconscious. And really, magic is about making conscious, which is really what therapy is about. Therapy is about, particularly psychoanalysis is about that as well. But hypnosis is a, is a really good introductory tool for getting to understand how our mind works and how to control it, how to control our own mind. It's really the power of suggestion. So yes. get rid of the word hypnosis and just use the word suggestion, and that makes a lot th- things a lot easier to understand. I started I started using hypnosis from as young an age a young age at uh, at what was I thirteen uh, I read my first book on hip- self hypnosis and since then I have moved on to several different books and uh, uh, I, I believe very much in hypnosis as well as uh, occult uh, and you know magic being associated with hypnosis hypnosis. Oh sure, because it's all it's all suggestion. Where every every magical ritual. Every meditative practice is a form of auto-suggestion and assumption, right. uh, where you're you're assuming that these characteristics of these things are real. Uh, I like to call it a kind of uh, uh, a controlled psychosis, um, you know, jokingly. But uh, hypnosis is very good. It's very important for people to understand hypnosis, particularly hypnotic induction, uh, Ericksonian hypnosis. Um, what else? Uh, anything, but if they can move in that direction of understanding NLP and Ericksonian hypnosis, uh, they're doing themselves a tremendous favor. And better still, if they apply it in their own lives to reshape and reformulate their, their understanding of themselves and their mind and, and their life so that they can be happy and healthy and, and whole, uh, they will benefit tremendous. Two of my great uncles were both hypnotists. And uh, it, I can't say enough about how important it is in, in every can be in everyone's life because then you're going to understand again the power of suggestion and you'll begin to understand how the media messages are shaped and formed and what their intention is and and yeah. how to avoid that how to control your own mind interesting by the way my main man renee in the chat room says can hypnosis cure covid19 <laughs> i love that <laughs> that all depends on your understanding of how the immune system works uh, I would say that uh, it can assist dramatically in activating the immune system. And that wow. if you have a really good attitude, a very positive attitude, which means to be relaxed and to be healthy and, and, and optimistic, that that's going to help boost your immune system and help you overcome things. Uh, I would like to see if there was a way to do that with people um, where sick people could be hypnotized or given hypnotic inductions or suggestions on recordings of some kind. That would be very good. That would be very beneficial to them uh, and, and help boost that up. Well, you can't so, stress yourself out. That is true. Mm-hmm. 
That is very true. Yeah, hypnosis is a great form of, of being able to control your, your mind and your body as well. And those who practice it well, uh, that being self-hypnosis, um, are really uh, capable of doing some amazing things in, in certain cases. So, yes, I believe in it very much. I had a new wager, by the way, Mark and Mike. Uh, I had this conversation with her earlier on this week, and she was telling me that to uh, get rid of COVID-19, it, it takes lots of prayer and wishful thinking. And I told her I have never heard of a virus going away by wishing it away. Yeah, that's just that's just not right. <laughs> I, I, think the, I think the problem here is you, you have two views that uh, one is what is the action and what is the effect? What is the cause and what is the effect? And what effect does the, the mind have not only on our physical body? Well, we talked about that with hypnosis in terms of boosting the immune system. Right. Uh, but then the question is, what effect does the mind have on the environment outside of the range of the limits of our fingertips? And that's where we're that's where we move into uh, the study of uh, the paranormal, whether through parapsychology and uh, uh, and distant healing and a lot of areas of practice in terms of, you know, what, are the, what is the limit of the mind, if any? And, and how does that work in terms of interacting with the physical world around us, both organically and inorganically? And, you know, in theory, she is correct, okay? At the same time, how do you actualize that? That's the real question. How do you bring that to, to fruition? And at the same time, um, why would I say no to effective treatment when it's available to me because that would only speed up the process. I mean, the example being, if I had a broken limb, I wouldn't say no to you setting it. I mean, I, I years ago, I, I had the tremendous second degree burns on, on my hand. And, um, what were you doing, Mark? Uh, it was from a soldering iron. Laundry. And, um, <laughs> you were in a burning yeah, churches, Mark. My laundry, right. You were, you, and, were burning, uh, <laughs> you were burning tr- I was, I was, churches in I wasn't Sweden. paying attention is what I was happened. And, uh, <laughs> and didn't, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it healed rapidly and very quickly. I had a bite, too. I was once bit by a client uh, during a restraint. Holy and, shit. Uh, yeah, I had, to get, I had to get tennis shots. And it was huge. I mean, it was purple and the size of half a golf ball on my wrist. And I, was, I said, it'll be gone in about a week or two. And the nurse said, I don't think so. I said, you wait. Now, does that mean I didn't put ice on the burn or I didn't, you know, clean the wound? No. You do all those things. You bring all your forces and energies to bear. And that includes the mind just as much as it includes eating right, being healthy, staying healthy, and, you know, taking whatever medical advice we can that's to our benefit. And this is, this is the key. When people don't take care of themselves physically, that's generally an indicator that they're not taking care of themselves emotionally and mentally as well. Right. Uh, Mark, what, what exactly happened that you were bitten on the hand and I'm glad you didn't get hep C? Yeah, I was doing a restraint with someone. A client we had was acting out and we had to restrain him. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And you got bit. Can you believe that, Mike? Holy shit. Yes, I can. But wow. I thought when he, when he said he burned himself, I thought he was doing laundry. I thought he was. I thought he was burning himself. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I have, uh, the, the biting was not. That was probably the least uh, dramatic of my stories. I worked in housing for several years, public housing. So 
those were uh that was more dramatic stuff oh there we go it's a good thing you don't do that now no uh but you know these environments have psychic tones to them you know you go to a beautiful concert hall it has its own psychic energy your house has its own psychic energy uh beautiful church does and and so do uh hospitals and uh and morgues and cemeteries and playgrounds and housing and and all these things every place has its own energy and there are people who are attracted to that energy and there's spirits or we'll say invisible beings that are attracted to that energy too I was, and, I was uh, expecting you to go into the feng shui subject. I thought you broke up for a second there. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, I'm sorry. I, all I said was uh, when you were talking about how each, uh, how certain uh, structures, buildings in this case, have certain psychic energy uh, or vibes, uh, I was wondering if you were going to go into the whole feng shui subject. Well, that's part of it. And, and feng shui is, means uh, water, earth, or excuse me, water, air, air and water. And, um, you know, we, in alchemy, we call that the mercury. Well, that's the energy of life. You know, if you're looking at a place, how is the air? Does the air move? How does it move? Is there water? Mm-hmm. How does it move? You don't want standing water. Standing water is disease. That's mosquitoes. That's stagnant. So how, how does the energies of life, how do they move around the place? And that'll define uh, the quality of physical life you'll have there. And it'll refine the kind of psychic entities that are attracted to it, as well as uh, animal life and uh, other things. And Mark, right now, so we see extra management on that. We can, we can affect those environments.